0: For Your Infilmation is brought to you by Boarding School, the best in film ultimatum since 1963. Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Infilmation with Zach and John. He just made my list of things to do today. Welcome to 4-Year Infilmation, a podcast about good movies, better cocktails, and best friends. We're your host, Zach. And I'm John. Halloween is over. The winter months are here. And I think we're all hoping for a quiet few months away from all the craziness that's happening and still happening in the world right now. As if 2020 couldn't get any worse. Let's let's take a little detour into a more heightened sense of reality. Let's go to the little indie darling Disneyland that is a Wes Anderson film. And where better to start than with Wes Anderson's sophomore film Rushmore from 1998. Ah uh, yes, sophomore film sophomore film not to be confused with softcore film right 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 or a sophomore porn or a so- uh, <laughs> usually the sophomore porn is filmed very quickly after the freshman porn usually like a day later ah uh, yes I uh, gotta love the pacing right efficiency it's efficiency because you want to make as much when you're young and hot as possible. So that Mm -hmm. way you can release it over time. Yeah, you're front-loading it. You're front-loading it. Yeah, like, you're doing all the hard work first, and then all you gotta do is just, like, look relatively the same for, like, a couple of years, and then you can start doing MILF porn. That's how that works. Ah, right, so you just hold out until the MILF porn comes in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you can either actually have a kid, or I guess you don't actually have to have a kid, just like you don't have to actually be stepbrother and stepsister. Yeah, or you don't actually even have to technically be, like, straight to do straight porn or exactly. gay to do gay porn you're an actor do what you want It live in the mind of the character exactly and I think that's what they do in this movie. So, John, I was surprised to hear you'd never seen Rushmore. Like, I felt like this was, like, a movie that a lot of people have seen, but, uh... So, had you heard of this movie before I asked you to watch it for the podcast? Not gonna lie, I had never, ever heard of this. This fits our criteria spot on. That is awesome. I I feel like we haven't done one of these in a while where you just truly have no idea what you're getting into. You know what? I like it, though. This was a great experience. It is. Like, it it holds up. Like, I didn't know... If this one was gonna hold up as much, but there's something about like just the the atmosphere of the film. It's not quite as <laughs> um I don't want to call Wes Anderson unhinged, but it's a like, little unhinged. His, like his later stuff is a little more unhinged from reality than this film is. But like mm, like, a, like a Gary Busey. Like a Gary Busey. Oh, poor Gary Busey. That's it's not his fault. I know, but it's still true. It's still true. Anyway, so have you seen another Wes Anderson film, or is this, like, kind of the only thing you can go off of? Believe it or not, I have. I've seen Moonrise Kingdom, and I've seen, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is a fantastic movie. Mm. I, (laughs) I've, I've always, I really like Wes Anderson's style, and we're gonna talk about that here in a minute, but, like, so what do you like about his films, or, or more specifically Rushmore? It is, uh, how do I say, okay, it's, like, super designed everything is designed there's an aesthetic to it and they stick to it it is on purpose but it doesn't feel inorganic right and i i like that it's a it's almost as if it takes place in its own little world even though it definitely takes place in the real world it's just kind of like more of a heightened reality like where almost like anything is possible and everything is very cinematic Mm -hmm. and um let's get right into it so wes anderson is known for kind of his Andersonisms. Andersonisms, not to be confused with like, um, I don't know, Sandersonisms, <laughs> which would be like where you come out of a cauldron on Halloween night to terrorize a bunch of Disney kids. See, I thought you were going with, um, I thought you were going with Samford and Son. Ah. That's where I thought you were going with this. I didn't think you were going to bullshit Hocus Pocus land. Honestly, though, the reaction on white people's face when you say you haven't seen Hocus Pocus. You know what? I'm fine if people haven't seen Hocus Pocus just because, like, what the fuck kind of name is Thackeray Banks? What? That's the main kid's name. His name is... Thackeray. No, alright, this movie Is cancelled. Like, cancel culture, get on it <laughs> Cancel culture, get on it I'm sure there's something that you can cancel in there It yeah, was yeah, from yeah. the 90s And it has Bette Midler in it, so right there and... uh, you know what, I don't even know what that means I'm still there for it. Okay Alright, so, Wes Anderson So, Andersonisms. Wes Anderson Has several, like, aesthetic choices that he Makes in his films, and it makes them feel Distincted, you could definitely tell it's Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. So, he really Likes to use a perfectly symmetric angles and uh this is kind of a kubrick esque uh this is when like the is placed directly in the middle of the shot and like the set and the actor are perfectly asymmetrical which means like if you cut that sh- if you printed out a picture of that shot cut it in half it would be it would look like the same picture I see what you mean. Yeah, I definitely see that. Yeah, he really, really likes to do things like that. And he likes to put, like, whatever the focus of the scene is, like, in the center. Even if it, like, doesn't really make sense. And it's kind of, like, a kooky thing to look at. Kind of like, um... I would say, uh, the one scene in Rushmore where he, where the, um, I guess the principal or the superintendent, whatever is, whatever he is, he's like, he's in the, like looking out the window on the side of the building. And normally, Mm -hmm. like if you were looking at that in a movie, you would be coming from like a diagonal angle or like, you know, it would be off to one corner, you know, kind of like you see it in real life. But Wes Anderson puts it right in the middle of the shot and it kind of looks funny in a way. Uh Uh-huh like it like it's putting a lot of emphasis on something that you don't really see or that like you don't look at in that way because like you don't see the corner of the building as the middle you know what Mm -hmm. i'm saying yeah so like it just inherently looks strange and like everything looks kind of like perfect in his movies i guess like they're almost like little model sets right yeah i definitely see that and when you talk about movies like uh like fantastic mr fox it's a little bit more obvious because it is a designed environment like it Mm -hmm. is truly like engineered to be the way that it is yeah but then you talk about something like rushmore or even like moonrise kingdom like it's not necessarily the case like it, he's working in the natural world but he still manages to get the same effect out of something that exists in real life right and it all has to do with the camera angles and like the way that he set dresses mm-hmm. it's very interesting um so Speaking of model sets like that's also something that appears in almost every Wes Anderson film is like like I would say think specifically at the end of this film and like the heaven and hell play sequence when like the little Mm -hmm. model train goes across the goes across the uh, stage Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like he he uses a lot of that as a matter of fact it reminds me a lot of uh, stuff he did later in his career like um, Grand Budapest Hotel which you would probably like John. You know, I was thinking about that movie earlier today, not for any other reason than the name of it popped into my head. Yeah, it's it's a pretty good one. It's like kind of a, uh, it's a slow burn that really doesn't go anywhere, but it's like very aesthetically interesting. Like, I really liked it. It sounds like most of the girls that I liked in high school. <laughs> it definitely does. And I'm sure most of the girls you liked in high school probably liked Wes Anderson movies. Ah, uh, that, we, we don't need to go there. We don't yeah, need we, to we, go there at all. <laughs> all right speaking of girlfriends from high school uh another p- another big piece of wes anderson films are the eccentric characters uh see i thought you were gonna get into the cocktail no i am not not yet no girlfriends from high school girlfriends from high school all right so the eccentric characters in the film like max fisher is like a very like you can tell he's based on someone and, he, and that person is wes anderson is, the, is that so i i don't know anything about wes anderson personally yeah well we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it here in a minute, but, um, the eccentric characters in the films, like they're usually the driving force. Like, I guess like sometimes Wes Anderson films kind of feel like they're the weird people's movie. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, like those weird background characters or secondary characters in other movies Mm -hmm. where like they're weird, but not a creepy kind of weird. Right. Like, I feel like that's where these characters shine. Like, it's almost like those characters abandoned those movies to come be in this movie. I see that they're like curios almost yeah it's like they're very strange and like it they add to the heightened sense of reality because it's like no one would really outwardly be like this because like i mean like me and you did band we i was in theater like we knew actual like weird eccentric people and they don't necessarily act like this but i feel like this is what they think they act like yeah no i definitely see that it's almost like the uh The relationship that vanilla beans have to vanilla extract, this is the vanilla extract to the vanilla bean that is that weird kid in the arts department. Exactly. So weird kids in the art department love you, but you're weird and there's a reason that we're not friends on Facebook anymore. Yes, you're also dirty and there's no alcohol in you. But guess what? There is alcohol in vanilla extract. That is definitely true. All right. So, um, just a couple more things to go through here, just because I like talking about Wes Anderson. I I really enjoy his direction. I think it's very one of a kind. Anyway, so, uh, Bill Murray is also a big part
1: <laughs> of yes. Wes
0: Anderson's films. Uh, since Rushmore, he's been in every one of his films. That is awesome. It is awesome. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. They actually became really good friends making this movie. Um, Wes Anderson is also a big fan of the Futura typeface (laughs) that he uses Mm -hmm. in all of his movies. Classic. Classic. Futura is classic, and now it's, like, kind of, uh, dead a little bit, I guess. I think people got tired of it. Did you see that thing that somebody did recently where they took Comic Sans, Papyrus, and Chiller and fused them into a single font? Is that person Satan? They might be. Because that, like, okay, so... My fiance is a typeface person. Like, she, like, does hand lettering and all this kind of stuff. And she's really big into fonts. And, like, to listen to her talk about fonts, I never thought I'd be interested in, like, someone talking about fonts. But when she does it, it's very interesting. I'll have to have her come on here and talk about it at some point. Anyway, she the, like, I can just, like, hear her, like, like, her ears curdling at the thought of a what was it comic sans papyrus and chiller font is this for like yeah is this for like one of those um did someone create this for like one of those uh church haunted houses where they like teach you about abstinence or like uh like the book of leviticus or whatever i really feel like if that were the case they would just have to write out the names of the seven deadly sins in that font and then paste it on the wall it's scary enough it's pretty freaky i think you could write anything in that and it would make you immediately not want to be in it i i completely agree i i can't even like i i can i like i can see it but i don't like in my mind i haven't actually seen it but i don't want to see it yeah 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 like speaking of this type of uh, andersonism it's almost like what you would see on tumblr like circa like 2013 2014 where it was mm-hmm. like a like a pastel background and then there was like a like a regular font that had like a like a floral pattern in the middle and it would be like really cute like well-balanced color thing and it would say like fuck my ass or like something like that you know just like yes someone really trying to project a kink that they've never experienced onto their personality so that they can <laughs> turn it into a weird quirky thing they have about themselves wow you you took the hot takes section right from me i don't think i'm gonna top that that is a hot take you just lost you know us what? like two listeners i don't apologize i will never apologize for that <laughs> it's true and you know it it is all right let's make this quick like a montage because that is one of the other andersonisms like so like he uses montages a lot to move the story along like um uh like it, it would be at like at the beginning of rushmore where he's they're showing all the extracurriculars that max is in mm-hmm. so that like that's a montage he makes use of, makes use of the montage to either move the story along or like help you get to know a character better yes and it's very like um it's very theatrical in a way so do you think that people that wear headphones like every everywhere like you know again to go back to high school because that's appropriate this takes place in a high school type setting so like um do you think that's like a thing that happens with people who wear headphones all over the place they're just making a montage of their day in their head you know what um so it's actually funny that that you say that. that because I remember, I mean, I still kind of do this. Like I'll walk around and like, try and think of like the soundtrack of my day. Hmm. Or like, sometimes I'll get stuck on a song because I can see like a movie scene going with it. Mm-hmm. And so I'll listen to it over and over again until that picture becomes clearer. So like I end up doing that and it usually it's good for walking with. I because see. I feel like walking around like kind of like jogs my brain, like my, the mm-hmm. creativity in my brain and I don't know why. Um, I, I think a lot of people are like that actually. I don't, I don't know if that's unique to me. I'm sure it's not. Do you think that's something that happens within the human brain, like naturally, or do you think that's something that we have developed as we are gradually exposed to more and more media over the years? Um, I think for me, it's more of a, uh, how should, how do I want to put this? It's like the going forward motion. It's helping my brain go forward with whatever that idea is. I see. So if I'm moving, I'm thinking. If I'm sitting still, I'm, I'm gonna like think about something else, and then it's gonna go away. Mm-hmm. You know what? I wish I had. I wish that I had something that like recorded all of my thoughts. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> <So, laughs> that's a dangerous device you're describing. Okay, but like it would be like password protected, so that no one else could see it. Uh-huh. But like I just nobody wanted... like Mark Zuckerberg. No one like Mark Zucker. No one's like Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll just like go and he'll like have like a search engine queued up where he can search like the keywords for all the thoughts and they'll just type in like milk and like just look at all the milk thoughts i i don't want to know what milk thoughts are just like, ask him man he doesn't know either he's trying to understand milk <laughs> oh i forgot I mean, because because he's a lizard person right he is a reptile they, they don't understand milk <laughs> do, do, do reptile moms not have milk no no no, absolutely not no they have uh, a Oh, so they just, like, smoke themselves and, like, give it to them? I have no idea what's going on anymore. I'm yeah. truly just, like, taking shots at Mark Zuckerberg. It's hard, like, I gotta hit all the bases, right? Like, I have to hit Google still. I already hit Tumblr, which means I hit Yahoo, as if they needed to be hit any harder. And now I have to get Facebook, so I think I've hit Zuck enough. Is Dogpile still a thing? Oh, dogpile.com. Oh, that was a good one. Uh, there was another one that was, like, a uh, Big Mama. You remember that one? Yes. Yeah, it was, like, Mama, the Big Mama of search engines or whatever so, like i feel like because google is just taken over that like like what's the only other search engine bing yeah there's bing yahoo technically is still a thing um uh ask jeeves not a thing anymore no, I, w- uh, I would assume not. Like, Ask Jeeves was weird because you had to ask whatever you were trying to look for. You had to ask in question form. It's an early Siri type thing. Yeah, but like even Siri, you don't have to technically ask a question. Right, you just have to like direct it to do something like, Give me information on... uh Tumblr. Yeah. <laughs> and then it'll go, I don't know what you're talking about. Do you want to open Pornhub again? <laughs> Shut the fuck up, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> See, again, these thoughts it's the thought machine that projects thought your machine. thoughts full circle <laughs> I don't want to project my thoughts like that like that might hurt them anyway oh, you want to record your thoughts yeah I, well I mean who am I recording them for for my personal use or for like other people to see mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay anyway my thoughts are safe with me all right so um, and the last thing I want to talk about, because, like, I don't think we'll have a chance to talk about it in the rest of the episode, but, like, West Anderson is also kind of known for its odd soundtrack choices. So, um, like, this movie specifically is all, um, like, 60s or 60s inspired like particularly from the british invasion mm. so there's a lot of like cat stevens um the kinks he actually wanted to make the entire soundtrack the kinks but as he went on he started like adding more and more in um my favorites off of this would be uh concrete and clay so it's that one at the beginning where it's like don't 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 do and uh here comes my baby by cat stevens because that's just a fucking classic right 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 cat Stevens, who uh has undergone a little bit of a um a perspective shift since his musical days in the 70s yeah well actually yeah so i guess i shouldn't be calling him cat stevens he's yusef stevens yes and he um but i think he goes by yusef slash cat stevens now because he's back to doing secular music yes he is uh he also got into hot water recently for not doing business with women yeah You know, it is what it is, isn't it? (laughs) We have all got a hill to die on, but the thing you got to know about hills is that they're all shaped like boobies, and what do boobies remind you of? Women. You're doing business with women anyway, bud. Jesus Christ! All right. Um. So those are some of my favorite Andersonisms. If you have any other ones that you like, just uh, you know, put it on the Facebook page. Like literally anybody, talk to us on the Facebook page. We're lonely. (laughs) All right. Please do it Alright, so every week John makes a cocktail for us Because I don't know how to make cocktails And he doesn't know movies So John, what kind of cocktail did you make for me this week? I went back to what I uh, usually like to do Where I make a, a more conventional cocktail You know, Ooh. no more of this uh, Halloween pumpkin thing No more of this, uh, I don't know Dropping bourbon into a glass of uh, Mickey's Which I think is what I did for Rocky I think that's what you did Yeah, yeah, very uh, a Rocky Rockyism. If we can have, uh, Andersonisms, we can have Rockyisms. That's the knife in the mattress, that's the bourbon in the pint of Mickey's, uh, that's the, uh, Adrian. That's so, uh, life! Yeah, exactly. Anyway. So, I'm thinking, uh, for this one, I needed to go back to my bases and do something a little more conventional. Um, in the movie, they drink, uh, it's mostly gonna be like a wine and liquor thing, it looked like. Uh, I know, um, Max drinks liquor a few times, even though he's, like, 15, right? Right, it was... <laughs> bill murray is the one buying it for him that's a classic bill murray move uh contributing to minors i don't mean to defame bill murray but it does seem like something his characters in general would do yeah he usually plays like you know pretty smarmy guys yeah 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 yeah. so uh in this particular case i thought well how do i uh bridge that over i can't just pour out a glass of russell reserve and be like here's your cocktail you know not really how that works uh so what I ended up doing was making something with gin, because who doesn't love gin? So I thought I'd get something that was accessible, but kind of had a little bit of an in with the uh, the high life. Something a little bit more fancy, because that's kind of what the movie's about. That's a finding your place between two worlds and uh, trying to do something else that makes you feel really good. I don't know, gin makes you feel good, so that's why I picked that. <laughs> gin always makes me feel good, whether I'm rich or poor, and I'm always poor. Right, there you go. So gin. Gin it is. <laughs> The the poor man's rich man's cocktail. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, this cocktail is called the High Society, and here's how you would make it. So you're gonna need to get a glass of rocks glass preferably or something of comparable size, something that'll hold up to twelve ounces, including ice. So you're gonna take some rosemary, fresh rosemary if you got it. Uh, actually, I'm gonna go ahead and say just don't even use rosemary if you don't have any fresh rosemary. But uh, you're gonna pick a few of the little leaves off and you're going to crush them and you're gonna rub that around on the inside of the glass. Okay, cool, that's that's fine. Uh, put the ice in there and put it in your freezer, make it nice and cold, right? Then you get your cocktail shakers, you're gonna fill it with ice and then you're gonna put uh, two ounces of gin. I use Empress 1908 gin which has a very interesting flavor profile and also a blue color which is not something you see in a lot of gin and um one half ounce of lemon juice one half ounce of lime juice and a dash of orange bitters and you're going to shake all that up and you're going to strain it into the glass with ice then you're going to add your spiced orange ginger ale So this is an interesting thing that you're not really going to see in most of your garden variety liquor stores You're gonna need to go to somewhere a little nicer or maybe to a grocery store where they have a uh, like a mixer section Uh, there's some brands to look out for. I know fever tree makes a really good one I think q may also make another one, but uh Anything is gonna anything's gonna work here any any of those options are gonna work for you Mix them together a little bit in the ice. There you go Put a sprig of rosemary in the top and there you go the high society. Ooh, the high society so, does does the blue flavor in... Or the, not the blue flavor. Uh, it is so blue flavored. It is blue flavored? Okay, so does that come... If I remember correctly, that's supposed to come from, like, agave berries or ackee berries or whatever you call them? Honestly, I don't know in the case of Empress Gin. Uh, for natural flavors, I would say, uh, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, the flowers, sometimes they'll use for natural coloring. It just kind of depends on what we're talking about, I guess. Right, um... I'll have to try that. I've never tried that gin. Um, I'm still working my way through a bottle of uh, The Botanist. Ah. It, it's actually pretty good for something I saw advertised on the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually got three bottles of gin on my bar right now as well. <laughs> getting <laughs> oh, through are, some are, gin. Are, are you getting back to gin now? I am coming back around to gin. Uh, my wife has taken interest in gin, and I fully embraced it. Uh, I think I got a little bit of Beefeater left over, you know, an old standby uh got a little bit of death's door gin uh washington Mm, american and uh the empress 1908 which is actually a canadian gin if memory serves yes it is i i've tried my fair amount of gin i've just never tried the empress so i'll have to i'll have to see if i can find that is that also at like one of those fancy like you know hipster fucking liquor stores I actually found it in a total wine So I don't know what your opinions are on total wine But uh you know they have stuff if you're looking for it My opinion on total wine is I wish we had them In Pennsylvania because you know what we have In Pennsylvania we have fucking state stores And they suck ass Yeah 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 you go to the bread line Yeah exactly it's like It's state run, so they, like, they can charge whatever they want, and it's usually ridiculous. Mm. And it's, like, and I feel like they only do it just so that you'll have to go to a bar. Because it's just that much cheaper. It's cheaper to go to a bar? Sometimes, like, to get drunk. Like, up here, like, I can get drunk for, like, 20 bucks. At a bar? At a bar. Wow. How much are you paying for a pint? Like, I mean, like, a pint's normal Like, it's more the liquor that, like, is cheaper Huh So, like, a pint is still usually, like, four, five, seven bucks Depending on what you're getting But you can get, like, a mixed drink for, like, the same price Interesting Usually, like, especially out in Harrisburg But that might also be the shitty area that I live in, honestly Ah man, I everything I've seen in California is just that everything is expensive except liquor in the store, (laughs) the liquor because they know you have to have something. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And now they have to compete because we got fucking recreational pot. So you know if you really want to keep people drinking, you gotta drop the price because if it's too expensive and it's just not worth their while anymore, they're just gonna go buy weed. Exactly. Keep we we gotta take down big THC before it gets too big. Yes, absolutely. You know all those marijuana growers uh, taking all this liquor money away from the old standby institutions speaking of old standby institutions and taking money away from them let's see how our buddy frank synopsis is doing frankie my boy how are you i'm doing just fine (laughs) so frank it's been a while since i talked to you what's going on baby what what how's how's old central park doing oh central park's doing just fine the leaves are changing there's uh lovers walking through the air uh that is not what i meant to say but it was true they were walking through the air like ghosts yeah so frank what you're telling me is you can see ghosts and you're not telling me this on a halloween episode yeah (laughs) fuck you frank all right um anyway so frank have you have you seen the film rushmore are you familiar with the works of Wes Anderson uh yes Wes Anderson and Theodore Roosevelt and uh Andrew Jackson and all the other ones that are up there on that mountain I don't think we're talking about the same thing this should be interesting all right Frank so why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about the film rushmore all right here we go max fisher is a student at rushmore academy in houston texas he excels in extracurricular activities but his work at school comes up a little short he's given an ultimatum bring his grades up or be expelled from rushmore to complicate his ultimatum he also tries to date a teacher at his school Ooh, dating a teacher at the school what do you think about that frank i think it's great i love it oh dear lord all right so before we get canceled frank why don't you go ahead head on out to craft services pick yourself on up something and uh, get on that bus i hope you have american singles i i don't want to know what you mean by that but anyway have fun frank all right see you all right john are you ready to get going yeah 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 um didn't have like a bunch of cheese or something recently uh no what what like what do you mean like like the little like craft singles yeah yeah as i was walking in here there was one of those stuck to the bottom of my shoe like were you eating like cheese in the bathroom or something uh well first of all i don't eat cheese in the bathroom that's Uh, that's more of a that's a liquor place bathroom's Uh, a liquor place remember when we used to smoke in the bathroom because we thought that was cool uh yes which bathroom are you talking about all of the above all of the above um i believe the term was vooping oh Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember vooping. Vooping. Yeah. Anyway... Enough about vooping, I'll let, I'll let your imagination go there. Alright, so let's talk about the film a little bit. So, I'm gonna give you, like, just the basic, like, you know, quick drop-down menu on Wikipedia info, just so you know the characters that we're playing with here. Alright, so Rushmore was directed by Wes Anderson, produced by Barry Mandel and Paul Schiff, written by Wes Anderson, and, if you didn't know this, it might be surprising, Owen Wilson. Mm. Uh, Owen Wilson, ka Anyway... <laughs> So the film also stars, uh, Jason Schwartzman in his first film role as Max Fisher, mm-hmm. Bill the man fucking Murray as Herman Bloom, Olivia Williams as Rosemary Cross, uh, Brian Cox as Guggenheim, Seymour Castle as Burt Fisher, and Mason Gamble as Dirk Calloway ah Dirk calloway probably my favorite character in this uh, whole movie really why's that he's just always there he's just (laughs) always doing the lord's work he's just doing the lord's work he's just carrying the film he's got to be the normal one in there yes all right so the music is by mark mothersbaugh who if you don't know who that is he was in the band devo and also did the rugrats theme Ah, that's fun. It is fun. He also did the music for Halloween Town. Less fun. Ah, yeah. (laughs) All right. So the cinematography was by Robert Yeoman. Uh, the film was edited by David Moritz. Production company was Touchstone Pictures, which uh, if you don't know, hint, hint, that's Disney. Mm. And American Empirical Pictures. Uh, The film was distributed by Buena Vista Pictures. Uh, That is also Disney. Release date September 17th, 1998 at the Toronto International Film Festival. And then a small release... In Los Angeles and New York and other larger cities on December 11th, 1998. You know what, man? Uh, I see this as a phenomenon and maybe things were different, you know, 20, 22 years ago than they are today. But like Mm -hmm. when I go to a big city, I don't just see a bunch of movie theaters everywhere. I honestly seem to see more movie theaters in smaller suburban areas okay so there's a reason for this so like most cities opt for like the more small like artisanal if you will movie theaters whereas mm-hmm. like that and they may not be as obvious to you like i remember um in Decatur, there was a little bar that also had a movie projection room and sometimes they would show movies in there but if you never went in there you'd never know So were they showing, like, new releases, or were they showing anything that they could get the rights to? They were basically showing anything that, like, they had on hand. Like, they were basically playing the DVDs of some stuff, but, like, I mean, like, I I can't... I'm not gonna mention the name of the place, but I am gonna mention what I heard happened there. Mm. Like, from what I heard, they used to play kind of, like, bootleg shit there. Ah. And it was like mostly for like regular patrons, like after hours. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and that's the thing like, there's small artisanal movie theaters in big cities like i mean there's usually like an amc or a regal somewhere within the city like a, uh, like i'd say like specifically in atlanta like i mean like atlantic station has one of the biggest regal theaters like in the country that is true uh they've also gotten ikea you know gotta get the ikea uh they also have uh, a very very high dog to person ratio <laughs> In Atlantic Station or just Atlanta in general? Uh, Atlantic Station in particular, but also Atlanta at large. Yeah, you will always find dog poop in Atlantic Station, but it is also one of the cleanest parts of Atlanta. But Atlanta is like quickly cleaning itself up. I think I think they're getting ready for that big changeover. Ah, that'll be fun when I go back, and it's just as expensive as it was out west. Exactly, isn't that going to be fun? We should move back now. I'm going to be mad. I'm going to break stuff. You're going to break (laughs) stuff. We need to not do heroin but like just lay out like obviously dirty needles everywhere Ah yeah 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 you know you get a needle and you take it into school and you're like Yeah 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 go in there and raise your hand and then say fuck (laughs) yeah dirty (laughs) Jesus Christ yeah three dirty atlanta we full or well i guess we don't live there anymore they full yes (laughs) all right so um and lastly so the budget of this film was around nine to ten million dollars and the box office return was 17.1 to 19.1 million which for like not it's not an independent movie because it's made by disney but for such a small release that's actually a pretty big accomplishment that is especially for you know a younger lesser known director at the time exactly like we're gonna talk about it but like his first film was done by columbia pictures so this wasn't like like anderson was not a stranger to major distributors i just think major distributors like kind of used him as like for indie cred kind of like they used to use quentin tarantino right and then uh you know quentin tarantino happened Yeah exactly like Pulp Fiction came out and it was over like he was the biggest director in Hollywood. He could have done anything he wanted and then he made Jackie Brown. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Among (laughs) other things. Among other things. Alright so let's get it all started off. So this section is called From Film School to the Big Leagues. So, Anderson, Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson began working on the script for Rushmore before they filmed their first film, Bottle Rocket, which is a full-length adaptation of a short film Anderson and Wilson made in college. You know what's funny, though, is that as I was watching this movie, it gave me major Napoleon Dynamite vibes. Yes, um, Napoleon Dynamite definitely goes after the same vibe as this movie. Right, and Napoleon Dynamite is also a similar situation where um, the director for Napoleon Dynamite did Palooka, which was like a short film where the characters go to a convenience store after skipping school and buy lottery tickets and that's what Napoleon Dynamite is based on. It's completely plot free. Exactly. Like like Rushmore is not plot free. Like it like it, it is almost like vignettes, but like they all serve a greater purpose of like getting to the heart of the film. Mm-hmm. Whereas like I feel like Napoleon Dynamite like has heart. But it's within the randomness of the film. I agree. I would almost say that uh, they kind of meet in the middle with like... You know what? No, I'm going to say that uh, Napoleon Dynamite and Juno meet in the middle with this movie. I could see that. I could see that. Because like Juno and Rushmore are both coming of age films. Whereas I would classify Napoleon Dynamite as a slice of life film. And what a great slice it is. And what a great slice it is. It's mostly just microwave steak. But yes, (laughs) Napoleon Dynamite is literally the microwave steak of fucking movies. How did that... Uh, remember the animated series... Dude, I we don't have time to talk about this. It, it bugs <laughs> me out because it wasn't bad. It no, just no, no, wasn't no, no. It was, good. I would say that the average Napoleon Dynamite episode was at like the 50th percentile of most like Family Guy episodes. Yeah, like cuz Family Guy is like mostly miss and sometimes a hit mm-hmm. and then like but it wasn't like it necessarily as m- like middling as like The Simpsons is now. Ah. Like it like the Napoleon Dynamite cartoon went for it, but I feel like it didn't it It like it never got to find its little niche. That's true. It's definitely easy to see where they uh, tried to cash in on the experiences of the people who watched the film as young people. Yeah, and like the problem was that like we were like, they they did, eh, sorry. The Napoleon Dynamite cartoon, I think the biggest problem is that they did it too late to like ride the Napoleon Dynamite wave, but they did it too early for nostalgia. Right, yeah. And little did they know that we were not interested in more Napoleon Dynamite content. We were interested in... antidepressants (laughs) at the age of 15 hell Ah, yeah sweet 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 age 15 you're either getting medicated or you're self-medicating all right it's great to be a millennial um so the character of max fisher is based on both anderson and wilson's adolescence so owen wilson was actually expelled from a preparatory school in the 10th grade for poor academic scores and wes anderson was more focused on extracurricular activities and had a crush on an older woman oh older woman that is (laughs) pedophilia yes it is that is an unhealthy thing to have happen i'm just glad that this movie doesn't like you know do any uh you know wish fulfillment yeah, yeah, no I, I see that. I I think they took it a li- we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, I I mean I think that they I think they drew the line very very well. I think they did the best that they realistically could have without sacrificing plot. Exactly, exactly. So, the, speaking of which, the main thesis of the film was that they wanted to write something where a young teenager and a 50-year-old man become friends and equals. Mm-hmm. Which is like, I could see that it's almost like a less weird Harold and mod. Like, it, that seemed like what they wanted to do. Interesting. I, I also see a little bit of this in a Moonrise Kingdom type movie. Yeah, Moonrise Kingdom is almost like the death of normal adolescent. In the beginning of teenage adolescence like it's like it's about that very strange time uh another movie that explores that very well is eighth grade by bo burnham um oh. and if you haven't seen that i would check that out but if you were like a really anxious kid in middle school i would suggest either skipping it or being high anyway there you go uh recommendations four stars check it out four stars check it out but if you really anxious don't be watching it though all right so the two of them wanted to create their own world doll sense of heightened reality so like Roald Dahl wrote um you know Matilda Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory a fucking a whole bunch of other shit is Beverly Cleary an author or a book like title <laughs> Beverly Cleary is a author. Okay, because I definitely read it as Beaverly Cleary for years as a kid, (laughs) and then as an adult I realized how stupid that is, but I still roll with it. (laughs) You know her Beaverly is really clearly. I hate that. Do not. (laughs) I I hate everything. All right, so the film was originally supposed to be produced and distributed by our good friends New Line Cinema... Anderson and new line execs couldn't agree on a budget and this never happens but then Walt Disney Studios came in and picked it up for 10 million dollars Ah, uh, yes Walt Disney Studios uh not sponsored should be question mark I I don't think they'd sponsor us I really don't like there's so many other like podcasts that like suck their dick a little bit more than we do and I feel uh, yes. like they would be sponsored way before us but maybe maybe it would be a Rushmore situation where they're like you know hey we like you for not liking us yeah how about this underdog Ball, a guy over here who's doing this podcast with his buddy. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Uh, Throw the dog a bone. Give him a million bucks. Uh, Yeah, we'll see how it goes. And then they (laughs) own you for life. Yeah, exactly. Like that's why you see the same actors in like a lot of Disney movies. It's because they're like Lindsay Lohan. Oh, poor Lindsay. Leave Lindsay alone. Justice for Lindsay. Look, (laughs) I'm just saying. Hey man, I'm just saying. Anyway, sorry, Lindsay thought I was talking about her. I see. I was talking about Lindsay Lohan. Different Lindsay. Different Pr- Lindsay. Very different Lindsay. Yes, anyway, both messed up by Disney. Both messed up by Jesus Christ. M- maybe oh, that's fuck. not fair. Maybe that's not fair. Anyway, so uh, leave for Lindsay Lohan alone. Let her do her little island show where I, she I pretends like, it. like she owns an island. <laughs> I... And she, Disney, come fuck me up. Give Disney... me an island. <laughs> Disney take me back and Disney's like, Oh no, 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 no. All right. Touchstone for you. <laughs> Touch <laughs> not even touchstone. Probably like fucking uh Disney Tune Studios. Maybe they'll fuck with Lindsay Lohan. All-, All right, so Let's talk about the casting of this film. So Anderson and Wilson wrote the role of Herman and... Fuck. Herman and Bloom? Mm. Anderson and Wilson wrote the role of Herman Bloom with Bill Murray in mind, but had absolutely no expectations that they could get him. Uh, Little did he know that all he had to do was find the phone number. See, I don't know if... I think this is pre-phone number. Ah. I think because of this movie and some of the other like independent films Bill Murray was in, like people thought they could just get him, and then he was like, "Oh no, no, we're not playing this game." but anyway i see so coincidentally murray's agent was a fan of bottle rocket and urged murray to read the script and to everyone's shock and awe he was so enthralled that he agreed to do the film for scale and if you don't know what scale is it's basically film world talk for minimum wage Mm. and uh they kind of like tried to do the math it ended up coming out to about like nine thousand dollars he has a lot of screen time for $9,000. Especially because he's Bill fucking Murray. And yeah, we already did like, Ghostbusters and Space Jam. All that Stripes. good stuff. Stripes, yeah. Like, like this is 1998 Bill Murray. Like, this is still, like, in his prime. Like, I don't think Bill Murray, like, ever went out of his prime. Because, like, he's so choosy with his film roles. But, like, this is, like, prime time Bill Murray. So, like, him taking $9,000 for a movie must have meant he really wanted to fucking do it. Right. So... <clears throat> eh, sorry murray had this to say about the script the film is about the struggle to retain civility and kindness in the face of extraordinary pain and i felt that a lot in my life who hurt you bill (laughs) that is the question man like who the fuck hurt bill murray i want to hurt them How dare you? One of the funniest people that has ever lived. I love Bill Murray. If you're listening, Bill Murray, give me a call. I want you to come to my wedding. Yeah, because Lord knows I can't call you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to sit here and try and figure out your phone number. All right, so. Ooh, sorry. At a point. All right. So, um, oh fuck! What what did I write here? What was I trying to write here? Oh, okay. So Anderson envisioned the actor to play Max as a 15 year old McJagger. Mm, that's fun. He had to have the moves like Jagger. Yeah, but yeah. They yeah. Could, he had they to could... lose his virginity three years prior. Twelve? That's disgusting. I, don't know, I made that up. I don't know if that's true or not. I, <laughs> I mean, it's McJagger. I'm sure he wouldn't deny it. He probably. It's he, a matter of fact because it's McJagger. He'd probably be like, oh no, probably. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. You know, you go to McDonald's. And you order a Mick Jagger, and, uh, you know, it's a bag of fun. (laughs) It's. I don't want to know what that means. All right, so um, 18,000 teenagers auditioned for the role of Max, and one of them was Lil' Jason Schwartzman. Mm. Uh, Anderson liked him because he looked like a young Dustin Hoffman, which is funny because film critics compared Rushmore to The Graduate, which was like one of Dustin Hoffman's first films. Interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's funny how that works out. So Schwartzman showed up to, to the audition in a schoolboy uniform wearing a Rushmore patch that he made himself. See, he's going the extra- Mile here. See, he's doing the uh, the grassroots thing. Ex- <laughs> he's grassroots. He's grassrootsing his own uh, audition. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus. So, um, it's also worth noting that Schwartzman was the drummer of phantom planet at this time uh and if you don't know who phantom planet is they were kind of like one of those pseudo emo pop bands kind of like motion city soundtrack hmm. um he had left the band in 2003 and that's kind of unfortunate because that was right before they uh hit it hit the big time by recording uh the theme song for the oc which is like california here we come oh it's like me when i moved out here except there was a lot more dust and my car was disgusting and actually my car was made the same year that this movie came out too much dust not enough cum <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. same thing with the uh phantom planet it's funny that we talk about phantom planet because earlier today i was listening to ghost with a boner by diarrhea planet not the same band no but similar concept <laughs> i i don't think so look you got ghost with a boner that's the ghost and diarrhea planet that's the planet ghost planet ghost with the boner diarrhea planet those were some hoops you jumped through <laughs> All right, look it j- up, guys. If you don't know about them, look them up. Diarrhea Planet is very fun. If you like Circle Jerks, you'll like Diarrhea Planet. You know All right. what? Uh, not sponsored should be. Not sponsored should be. Circle Jerks, sponsor us. Make they another can't album sponsor, sponsor anybody. Us. They can't sponsor anyone because they're not a band anymore filming began in November 1997 and on the first day of filming uh Anderson started whispering notes to Bill Murray and he, the reason he was whispering to them is because he didn't want to embarrass him in front of other people like like but you know it would have been like simple things like, like hey Bill can you like come in a little faster can you do this and um To Anderson's surprise, Murray fully embraced him as a director and even helped move like filming equipment for the crew, just like everyone else did. Hmm. So, this was like a little family. Like, uh, Bill Murray always says that working with Wes Anderson is like working on like a film school project. Hmm. And he says like he likes the collab, like, he likes collaborating with him. And that's why he keeps coming back for more every single time. Um, also another anecdote about Bill Murray in this movie is that there was supposed to be a scene where Max and Herman were in a helicopter. It would have costed an additional $75,000 on top of the budget and Disney just outright refused to do this. Mm. And I mean, I-, I could understand why like adding $75,000 onto something that you know, you're probably either going to break even or come like slightly below. Like I could see you not wanting to add any more to an already. Like, you know what they would probably consider too much of a budget yeah yeah yeah. so i i under so like i don't think they're being evil there i think they're being pretty smart like because they didn't know what they were gonna make on this i see it yeah no i definitely see what you mean and little did they know if they would make back about 10 million yeah exactly like it's nuts it's absolutely nuts i don't think the Uh, helicopter scene would have helped them make that much more money but you know No, and that's yeah so this is one of those instances where it's like this was actually smart filmmaking anyway bill murray after hearing that they wouldn't give him the money bill murray handed wes anderson a blank check to cover the costs so that is how much Bill Murray believed in this movie. They ended up not shooting the scene, but Bill Murray was down to clown. I'm so glad that Bill Murray is the way that he is with this type of thing. I am too. Like, it's like when he goes in, he's in. Like, he he gets excited. Like, it's hard to get him excited. But once he is, you got him. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, again, a Quentin Tarantino. Just like a Quentin Tarantino, just like them Quentin Tarantino boy. Anyway, Anyway, Anderson toyed with the idea of filming the scenes at Rushmore Academy in England and scenes outside of Rushmore in Detroit to give the film a distinct contrast. Hey, what do you mean a distinct difference? (laughs) But the movie was ultimately shot in Houston, Texas. I see. It's all good. England is like the Detroit of Northern Europe. (laughs) Is it? I I don't know. I'm just making things up again. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think it is. I think it's closer to like the Houston, Texas of uh, fucking places. Houston, Texas. The British are like the Texans of Europe. I mean, they're seceding from the EU right now, so I mean, sure, sure. I mean, like I think Texas would probably be the first to secede from the union, and I cannot wait to watch Mexico come and fuck them the hell up. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> not wishing anything upon any Texans. Yeah, not that podcast. We're not that podcast. Anyway. So, Houston, Texas is actually the hometown of Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson. Um, So, Rushmore Academy actually ended up being St. John's School in Houston, Texas, and this is the school Anderson attended growing up. Oh, really? It, yeah. So, he actually shot it at, uh, at his alma mater, which has to be, like, fun, but also kind of like, ugh. I guess I only made it so far, didn't I? Uh, do you think that they uh cut him a break for being an alum, or do you think they charged him more because he's a piece of shit? <laughs> that I don't know. I'd love to see the specifics on that. I'd like to think that they were like, "Oh, you want to shoot a movie here? Yeah, go ahead, do it." Right. Uh, it's not like when we were growing up and we would like shoot stuff in and around the school because you know we had an inn or two and nobody asked any questions. Exactly. <laughs> and the inn was that like they just didn't want to know what was going on. Yeah, yeah. I'm. It's beginning to be clearer and clearer to me how little they checked the security cameras in the schools. They, like, I feel like they only checked it if they had to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if, like, they were just like, oh, I guess I should look at this. I haven't looked at it in a month. Oh, there's drugs. Go get them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or like, oh, someone got in a fight. And then we're just, like, at night with cameras. On the actual stage of the school, you know, like cafeteria or whatever. Oh god, fun times! Covert ops in the school. Got to yes. get them shots. Yes, I'm uh, pretty sure we borrowed a uh, a back mounted vacuum cleaner for one of our videos from just straight up from the closet that the you know custodians used. Oh man, if they. <laughs> How much the like, do you remember how little, like, schools used to care about their own property? Oh, yeah, yeah, And again, I think it was because we had an inn. But that's really just how we got access to the building. No, I think it was just the economy. I think it was, like, good enough for them to be like, we can buy another one. And, like, just bad enough for them to be like, I don't care. I've got other shit going on. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Weird time growing up we did. Alright, so uh, Lamar High School, also in Houston, was used for Grover Cleveland High School. Uh, The school was quote-unquote dirtied up to give it a dilapidated inner-city school look. Alright, now this is a very sensitive thing that you have to say. You can't just call something inner-city without meaning something. Like, you can't say, like, urban youths without meaning something. And see, like... (sighs) When I say inner city, I guess I mean, like, we both went to Georgia State. Yes. There are certain buildings at Georgia State that just look shitty. And it's just just because they've been there for a long time. And, like, usually city, like, schools that are in big cities have been there for a very long time. And because it's a big city, you know, the, the government of that city doesn't have a lot of time to, like, make old things look new again, I guess. Like, they're more focused on making new things new. Which is ah, not, right. which is not right, and like, there's definitely like areas of cities that get looked over a lot more than others. Mm-hmm. And so, just know that I don't mean that. I just mean old shitty building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for more information, listen to the jukebox song by Lonely Island. <laughs> I, I i i have not thought about that in a very long time thank you john you're welcome all right so the last thing about filming is that the bentley that was used in the film was paid for by swapping time with the bentley for the owner's daughter appearing in the film oh we're doing that whole like swap the swap a daughter for property thing again that's what's going on here <laughs> do you think the guy just left her there yeah, 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 yeah like yeah, yeah. thinking think... that he had like switched her yeah like oh man <laughs> I get to show off my Bentley and I get rid of this girl? Awesome. Oh, wow. The old world charm of Houston, Texas. (laughs) 1998 houston texas is not the same as it is now <laughs> all right so let's talk about the release of the film so like i said before the film premiered at the toronto international film festival on september 7th 1998 and it was also screened at the telluride film festival which i think is in texas i can't remember um and it was also released for one week in new york city and la um and it sold out 18 of 31 screenings uh, raking it about forty-three thousand six hundred dollars i see Um, And then it was released widely after this. It went from about 103 theaters to 380 theaters. Uh, Bill Murray was also nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor for his work in the film. You know what? The enthusiasm pays off, huh? <laughs> they were like, "Oh man, he's actually looking like he's having fun again. Let's give him something," but like, not actually give it to him. I don't right. think Bill. I don't think Bill Murray's actually won any awards, which is surprising and sad because I think he's a great actor. We need to bully these, you know, organizations that are unfair to the actors the same way we did to get Leonardo DiCaprio an Oscar. <laughs> we just gotta nag the fucking academy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we just gotta like bully them into doing what we want jesus christ all right so let's wrap this up by talking about some of the things that happened after the film's initial release so it wouldn't be an episode of four-year information if i didn't tell you about the fucking home video releases so yeah, let's yeah, get yeah, it yeah. Going. You, know, you gotta get the aspect ratio on the laser disc and digitized into the <laughs> dvd to get re-released later on as the blu-ray see this one actually has a pretty cut and dry um history so there's only actually been 3 releases of it technically So, Buena Vista Home Entertainment, which is, again, Disney, released the film on DVD on June 29th, 1999, with no supplemental features whatsoever. It's, like, just the film and a scene selection. Lame. Lame. Alright, but, on January 8th, 2000, the Criterion Collection released the film on DVD with supplemental features, and then it was re-released by Criterion on Blu-ray on November 22nd, 2011, and it is one of Criterion's best sellers. See, when you said that this was simple, I thought you were going to say, like first there was VHS and then there was VHS two. <laughs> and then there was VHS three, which was only in Mexico. Yes. Only in Mexico. <laughs> no, it's not like a, it's not like a Scarface or a wizard of Oz where there's like a big long history of like, Oh, it came out on this and this and this it's this. All ah, right. It's like Rushmore kind of came out like in the DVD era. So that kind of cuts down on the, uh, on the amount of home video releases there are. And like, there haven't ever been really any special editions because, the Criterion Collection. It's considered a special edition. Interesting. So, like, it's one of those things. Like, it would be worth trading a daughter for, but not like two camels for, <laughs> or a Bentley, <laughs> or a Bentley. Um, I want to know what the going exchange rate on a daughter is. Uh, that depends on the context and how badly you need the camels and or the Bentley and or the Criterion Collection. <laughs> the entire Criterion Collection, from beginning to end. Yes, and half a camel on the occasion that you slaughter said camel why am i kidding half a camel like i'm fucking king solomon over here but you know what honestly i keep saying camel it could be any livestock just to be clear i don't know what the exchange rate is on camels to goats to cows i don't think swine are normally done this way do people eat camels yeah. Like, like on purpose, like they actually like to eat the camels or they eat the camel because they have to. I'm going to say some of both. Okay. Cause I was like, I thought a camel was like mostly like for transportation. Uh, yeah, that is a thing, but I, you, you can clearly eat it. You can also milk it. Turns out. Milk it. Like, so it has milk. Like you're not like taking the water out of the humps. Yeah. 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 You're milking it for all it's worth. Milking that camel. Milk. <laughs> Ugh, that's a phrase I didn't need. And how much <laughs> is that camel worth? At least half a daughter. <laughs> So half a camel is worth the entire Criterion Collection, but one daughter is worth half a camel. No, it's two camels, one Criterion Collection, and one daughter. So one daughter is worth two camels. So that means half a daughter is worth one camel, and a half a camel is worth a quarter daughter. I'm so glad we live in this century where we, like, marry for love or health insurance. Yeah, 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 you know. It's not <laughs> dystopia. Honestly, I, I, I'm really happy for this. I'm really happy that we live in this world that we live in. And that we're allowed to do this and people listen to it. It's awesome. Allegedly. Allegedly. That's what Spotify tells me. It's like, yeah, I mean, people like looked at it. Uh, Anyway, so the film was actually added to the National Film Archive in D.C. by for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant to the United States in 2016. Interesting. Yep, and uh, maybe maybe a slightly higher honor. Uh, in 2003, the line, Tell That Mickey Just Made My List of Things to Do Today, was used as a song title of Fallout Boy's debut album, Take This to Your Grave. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that is not a greater honor than being in the D.C. <laughs> Film Archive. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. It's Fallout Boy. Like, this is their first album, first track. I that's how i found out about this movie you know is it really yeah i mean because like i mean i definitely heard of fallout boy before i heard of wes anderson it's no longer a good world to live in (laughs) what do you fucking mean like dude how long has fallout boy been in our lives fallout boy has been around since we were like in elementary school you be careful with this hour stuff (laughs) (laughs) i have i have not nor have i ever been a fallout boy fan Come on, man. Like, okay, I understand not being a Fall Out Boy fan now, but like, come on, man. Like the "Take This to Your Grave" and like uh, the "Infinity on High" and from under the Court Tree era, like those are great albums. I just I, uh, this is this is Brendan Urie, right? How fucking dare you? Oh, is it Patrick Stump? They're like the same thing. I don't know. Just Patrick kinda sound Stump Kind of sounds like you are singing Pete on Wentz. one of those massage chairs from the mall. <laughs> no. Brendan Urie is from Panic! at the Disco. Ah, uh, yeah, you know. it Again, not different enough to, like, you know, pique my interest. Um, I don't want to keep this episode going on longer than it needs to, but did you know that uh, Panic! at the Disco actually got signed to Pete Wentz's record label, which is Fueled by Ramen? He got... They got signed to that because they went on a Fallout Boy message board and said that they sounded better than Fallout Boy. And then Patrick Stump and Pete Wentz said, Yeah, they kind of are, and then signed them. What? Yes. You know who else is unfueled by ramen? Fun and Punchline. Punchline is. Uh, fun is technically unfueled by ramen. <laughs> like they don't they i don't think they're a band anymore well actually i know they're not a band anymore and that's sad and that's why that the the world grew a little darker like i still will never understand why they just like parted ways like that like from what i understand it was never like none of them ever really wanted it to get that big because they wanted to do other stuff but like i kind of hope they come back for another album sometime but i think the momentum is gone you know it'd be fun we need it in these dark dark times uh i can't wait for the uh 2010 to 2014 nostalgia wave oh god yeah all, all the zoomers are gonna get a little older and remember what it was like to have cool stuff when they were a kid you know like when we were kids and like people wore denim shorts and like white sneakers and you know we started bringing that back on tiktok are there people that are cosplaying as like the early like the early 2010s uh, i'm sure someone's doing it it might not be the most popular thing up there but like yeah it's Just put me in my grave now. No, we can't remember. God will die young, leave a sweaty corpse. (laughs) I think that's the third episode we've said that. (laughs) <laughs> we're it's it's a mantra at this point we're, we're just going for it yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah anyway that's gonna wrap it up for four-year inflammation uh if you liked this episode check out other episodes check out our facebook page uh if you feel so inclined give us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts. so uh, we could really use it it'll get more shitheads like you in here and uh as always watch a new movie this week for four-year inflammation i'm zach and i'm john see you guys